0: Lisa Pierce, Executive Editor of Packaging Digest, with another episode of Packaging Possibilities, a podcast that reveals what's new and what's next for packaging executives and engineers, designers, and developers. In this episode, I'll be talking with David Gray, CEO of Green Seed. Greenseed is a contract packaging company that serves large and mid-sized companies selling consumer packaged goods. Today, we're going to explore contract packaging technology trends. One thing I've learned over the years is to keep an eye on the packaging machinery technologies that contract packagers are buying and using If ever there was an operation that was critically dependent on a return on investment, it's a contract packaging business. So let's get into it. David, welcome. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Lisa. It's very nice to be with you and your organization today
0: great um before we get into the questions tell us just a little bit about green seed um one of your locations is here in the chicago area which is where i'm located
1: right yes Um, well what many people don't know is that green seed has got a really rich history in external manufacturing we're part of a family office that has been in the space for over five decades um their first two ventures uh they they really scaled them to be a very big competitive and instrumental platform in the food space and they exited them and then GreenSeed was part of their idea to create a sustainable long-term investment for their families and what ha- came to be is the birth of Greenseed, creating an external manufacturers that is dedicated to uh the cpg space um and our initial entry into food packaging was to really hitch our wagons to the innovation side of food and working with Better For You products and helping big brands scale those new innovations and get them into, you know, the omni-channel strategy.
0: Okay, excellent. And uh, external Packaging operations, contract packaging operations, are so key to especially getting new products launched as quickly as possible. Um, as the brand owners then decide on whether to bring that uh, that operation in house or not. So, um, David, tell us what packaging machinery technologies uh, technologies are contract packagers most interested in and why. And obviously, you're going to be looking at it from Green Seeds' perspective, but maybe Maybe take a little bit of a broader view as well to the in, the contract packaging industry in general?
1: Yeah, I think a good way to answer this is to kind of start of what's going on in our, our industry at the moment. And when you look at manufacturing and the human capital that supports it, we're seeing a big shift as it relates to the labor market. And Um, I've been part of some cohorts, other CEOs, uh, specifically one of them with your PMMI group, um, talking about what the challenges are today in external manufacturing, and and labor is the number one issue. And as a result, we've been looking at ways to mitigate that issue, which is predominantly driven by a couple reasons. One, you've got, obviously, a lot of people that are manufacturing are aging out. And we don't have um, really the, the systems in place from a policy level to bring that education, that technology development at the high school levels. Two, you've got inflation, which is driving up, you know, a wage war. And so you've got competition for people and it and it's changed. It used to be your competition were people that did the same thing, but now our competition is everybody who is looking to hire people at hourly rate. Um, And then the third biggest issue that we're seeing with the, the labor is really in regards again, to policy and immigration. This country was birthed on people coming here for a great opportunity and really putting in their sweat muscle to develop it. And, you know, over the last couple of decades, we've really have created more barriers. And unfortunately, a lot of those people that, have come here as immigrants have really come here and have supported manufacturing. So as a result, you know, those situations that are upon us and are all wrapped in the, you know, the red bow of labor, you know, the technologies that we're starting to really hone in on our robotics and automation. And um, we're seeing more opportunity there um, as it relates to, accessibility to that technology and we can talk about that a little bit but that's i think you know when when i look at my peers and what we're talking about internally it's robotics and automation to really support the changes that are happening in the labor market
0: okay and a lot of these labor issues that you mentioned have been building up for quite a while um but i would imagine the last two years during the pandemic have just made that uh, much worse. And um, I just wonder if the automation, the interest in automation, though, is um, flexible enough for your needs. I know you talk about robotics and robotics typically are a little bit more flexible than maybe some other types of automation which have a particular um, motion that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you wanna talk a little bit though about this this need for flexibility? Because contract packagers handle a lot of different products. You have a lot of clients that have a lot of different products, which typically means a lot of different packaging forms. Isn't that mm-hmm. correct? So how yes. do you handle that? Uh, the need for flexibility?
1: Yeah, I think yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're correct that, you know, the industry has built its reputation on being agile and being able to provide different types of packaging formats um, to their clients. Uh, but I think what we're starting to see, though, is a shift again from, from the clients to their suppliers, trying to streamline, um, trying to get really more focused on creating better predictability in, in their supply chain, and so we have seen more companies, specifically um, through COVID, start to do skew rationalizations and really get to a point of we're focusing on our core now, mm-hmm. because we can really drive better better results versus offering, you know, eight different flavors to yes. the consumers. Now. Um,
0: as a consumer, David, let me just say that we've noticed <laughs> we yeah. go to the store and sometimes the uh, the flavor that we used to buy isn't there. Um, my husband was a, a, a big buyer of Diet Dr. Pepper, caffeine free, mm-hmm. and you, we just can't find it anywhere anymore. So that just happened to be one of those skews that got rationalized.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. So as as a byproduct of that rationalization, you know, you're starting to see them also look at the economics behind their core projects. And again, how do you how do you improve that process to to continue to create sustainable results with high quality, but you know, reducing the impact of the rising costs that we have here. So, you know, the answer, what do you do? Is you know, of course. In a service industry, it is about your customer's journey, and it's about really supporting their needs. Um, but the best way that, like we we do that, is through ingenuity—not just agility, but really creating um, an environment where our people are coming together and trying to solve these complex challenges that most you know brands are faced today in today's climate. Um, so it's a combination of again. Focusing on the repeatable types of solutions and where there's repeatable solutions, you know, we're starting to look at robotics to put into those places and then shift our people into other more powerful areas that had greater impacts to, to create that ingenuity in place. Um, but I would say I'm I'm concerned about getting back to A consumer environment where you know greater is more, and we 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 constantly provide so many options. Um, We're we're just not built that way. From a manufacturing, we're not. We're certainly not built that way. From a logistics and retail, found out that they can't service it. So, you know, I, I I hope that many of the CPGs do a better job of, you know basically sunsetting skus that just aren't getting the return pretty quickly. And I think, you know, a lot of them used to sit those out there a lot longer, try to keep selling them, but they're just really a stress on the supply chain side.
0: Very interesting point. Um, You know, as I've already mentioned, my husband not being able to find the soda pop that he usually buys, of course, we've switched to something else. And um, personally, I've been thinking over the last couple of years when uh, shopping and seeing fewer variety in the store, uh, fewer product variety in the store. I, I've thought to myself that, you know, as Americans, we really don't need all of that. And shouldn't we be a little bit more conscious of our own consumption and everything? But, you know, um sometimes the consumer wants what they want. Uh, And I hate to say this, but especially Americans, but I do agree with you, David. I do think that skew rationalization and focusing on maybe um, the more popular products is really something that um, should just be accepted in the industry as this is the way to go.
1: Yeah, I also think Lisa too, is there's, there's potentially um, a, a greater impact from this too is which would be on the environmental side and we wouldn't be good point using so much energy and so much you know plastic and paper uh, in the environment which you know a lot like I said a lot of this stuff uh, ends up being spoiled unused goes to waste and of course it, it's very difficult to find a channel to recycle or reuse it and I do think that that is a, a big opportunity if we can get there as well.
0: Okay. And from the consumer's perspective, I guess I could say that if there is something very specific that you want, maybe that's what you buy online. You know, you find it online and you buy it online. And that's kind of where the, uh, you know, brick-and-mortar retail Differs a little bit, maybe, from the online retail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've seen that as a consumer myself. Uh, I was shopping for a new wallet uh, over the weekend and couldn't find what I wanted in the store. So, of course, then I went online and mm-hmm. found something. Uh, haven't received it yet, but um, hopefully it'll work when it gets here. Anyway, um, before we get into some more details about the go to automation solutions, um, that David's going to give us a little bit more detail about. Uh, Let's take a short break for a special message. Lisa Pierce here, Executive Editor of Packaging Digest. I'd like to invite you to the upcoming Westpac in-person event in Anaheim, California, April 12th through the 14th. Held at the Anaheim Convention Center, Westpac serves the entire packaging community, from design engineers to distribution leaders. The event helps packaging professionals find creative solutions and efficient automation systems. And as an added bonus, registered Westpac attendees automatically get access to exclusive online-only sessions going on right now. Don't miss out. Sign up today at westpackshow.com. Now let's get back to our Packaging Possibilities podcast. Okay, David, a big finish coming up here. So tell us what are some of the go-to technology solutions that contract packagers are looking at these days. Obviously, you've already talked about robots. Um, does that also include um, collaborative robots, uh, co-bot- cobots? And what specific areas of automation are you looking at? Is that still at the primary package level? Is it more important at the secondary level and case packing and palletizing? Give us a little bit more detail.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'll, I'll first answer the the, the cobots. You know, I, I haven't seen specifically in in the world of food manufacturing where cobots are supporting um, the efforts at this point in time. It, it, you know, there may be some very few types of brands that again are you know high speed, highly automated um, that could be using that relationship between a robot and a human but most of the robotics that i have seen that have been having the real benefits are strictly robotics that are working in repeatable areas um, pick, pick
0: in place as well as you know maybe some of the larger industrial robots at the palletizing level Yeah,
1: that's right that's right okay um
0: what What about mobile robots, though, David, for, let's say, packaging line replenishment, um, getting material to and from packaging lines?
1: Those seem to work, as we talked about earlier, in regards to, again, very consistent processes, because, again, robots are driven by algorithms that are built into those systems, and typically there's a few, and they do the same thing over and over again. So if you've got you know a, a very consistent flow of raw getting moved to production that's getting pulled out of warehouse you can see that but if you're getting back to some of the challenges that you know co-packers have is where you're changing over lot and your 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 formula your your algorithm is different every week it's it's more complicated and that's weird the technology side is is looking to improve is how do we get that artificial intelligence built in so that just it understands the, the changes that are occurring in real time.
0: Okay, so maybe the slight nuances that a human can naturally adapt to, but the automation needs a little bit of extra help with that. okay. Um, can you give us an example of a packaging operation, a specific area of a packaging operation where you see that as being most beneficial?
1: Uh, a, kind of a cobot a or a robot?
0: Um, a robot then with the artificial intelligence. Yeah. Is it more on the secondary packaging side or the primary packaging side?
1: I think, I think where the robots or AI and robotics really meet is 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 that interface between moving raw product from warehouse, packaging material from warehouse into production areas. Because once you get into the production area, and as we talked about earlier, you're going to get into more of a repeatable process um, that it's going to navigate because a lot of the, a lot of the, the packaging formats stay the same. So you may use, it's a horizontal form fill seal machine that's making stand up pouches and, and, you know, one week you may be filling granolas, the next week you're filling pastas. Uh, but the format's the same. What changes is the secondary, the, the omni-channel, <laughs> where now we're not just servicing just retail, we're servicing club, discount, mass, E commerce and each of those channels, um, you know, have their own required secondary. And that's where right. the automation has really, really good automation with, you know, artificial intelligence that can be built quickly to understand that, okay, as I'm taking these individual units going through the line, and you've got, you know, some sort of automated robot that's picking and packing in there it it recognizes real time quickly when you've shifted from the granola to the pasta okay and then as a result that's going to move from a well let's say that the granola was an eight count and then the next week we're moving to a 10 count and then the downline the pallet's going to be cased out differently based again on the, the warehouse and the company specs and so that's where we see you know the most opportunity to to leverage the technology.
0: Okay, and as you talk about omni-channel, um, I wonder, uh, David, are most of your clients when they're preparing um, products for online sales, are those uh, typically going to a a fulfillment house or a e-tailor as we call them, electronic uh, retailer? Uh, like Amazon, or are these uh, going back to the manufacturer for fulfillment by them? And probably a a combination of all of that, right?
1: So, yes, the latter, it's a combination. And again, depending on the scope and size of the brand, you know, we're seeing some of the biggest brands, you know, invest into that technology inside their warehouses. Um, But then when you get the smaller emerging brands, there's a lot of 3PLs that are specializing in that type of e-commerce platform where we see our clients, you know, asking us to basically build out bulk product, ship it bulk into this 3PL where they pack and do out. the fulfill- refurb- fulfillment. That's right. Yep.
0: Okay. Excellent. Um, is there any opportunity maybe for a contract packager to do e-commerce fulfillment themselves? Or is that, again, getting a little too far from core? the core business?
1: Well, I think there's always an opportunity, but you have to, you have to make a strategic decision where you want to play. Right. And in this day and age more than ever, um, understanding your strengths is really critical and learning to do what you do best. And, you know, right now, you know, I think diversifying different capabilities certainly is a solution for customers to try to bring things closer but I do think it's a risk again getting back to the labor strengths is you know can, can you service it to the level that your core strength is you know and so you know that's probably where an M&A strategy comes in and you look to acquire something that's already in place and bolt those together to, to provide a, a greater solution.
0: okay Excellent. Uh, we will uh, look for future news maybe on that coming from the contract packaging area. <laughs> okay, um, I do want to, to end not to be, I hate to end on a negative note, but I do want to ask um, what are some of the other pain points of a contract packagers business these days? Um, Why, and then how are you handling those challenges? And I do have to, I don't want to limit it to this, but I do want to also ask about, um, you know, brand owners are having difficulty getting equipment and getting equipment in time because of the supply chain challenges that we're seeing um, caused by the pandemic and and now a little bit by the Ukraine war. Um, The... Availability of most of the sophisticated packaging equipment these days runs on electronics and the getting available availability of microchips is mm-hmm. uh, you're competing. Uh, get, uh, packaging machinery manufacturers are competing for that um, those um, components with everyone else and um i don't think that they'd be the first ones to win out to be honest with you in in a a competitive situation like that so how are how are you handling the availability of equipment and the lead times as well as are are there any other challenges other than the labor um that you've already talked about yeah yeah you know i think
1: all the things that you addressed are certainly um you know headwinds that we're all facing today, leading companies, and again, you know, prioritizing those. You know, the the people side is number one, right? At the end of the day, you know, I was I was told early on when I was being mentored that, you know, the number one asset of any company is is the people, and so I solving for that is is really really critical. And you know, what what are we doing to to do that? You know, we're just trying to bring more appreciation and letting people know that, you know, they're valued and they're part of something and, and trying to find ways to invest in them. Um, but outside that, I mean, supply chain is is continuing to um, wreak havoc on day-to-day business. We're still seeing, um, you know, ships at port. I was just out West last week at a conference and um, was out and just outside of Long Beach and I counted 16 empty shipping containers that were just sitting out there waiting to come into port. Um, Just it is continuing to to put pressures on our ability to execute and then of course as as we talked about earlier too the, the inflation right when you look at specifically what's going on with the war right now and impacts that has on our energy much of what we use today whether it's packaging film Corrugated, all of that is being used by some sort of gas oil to to be able to manufacture and produce it, and so we're seeing again, you know, our suppliers put out announcements again that their prices are rising, and it just really creates a very difficult um, economic proposition because at the end of the day, you you look to go ahead and pass along these costs, not pass along and try to profit on them. And you're pigeonholed because, you know, the CPGs and the retailers are, you know, really reluctant to to pass along to consumers. And so, you know, because it's, it's consumers
0: are, are dealing with inflation too, and their yeah, um, dollars right. are limited. So yes, it's,
1: it's, it's really, really difficult. So it's, it's really unfortunate. This is a, this isn't anything new to economics, but the pressure on the on the front end always gets the most heat. And right now, I'd say that's one of our biggest problems is really addressing the needs of the marketplace, but at the same time, getting the support to pass along these rising costs that are happening real time. Mm-hmm. We uh, like what we've done with all of our contracts. We've removed using certain indexes because indexes are lagging. They're not really telling the truth of where our costs are. Um, and then also we've done a lot of hedging in our pricing um, on an annual basis of looking like, okay, we know labor is going to continue to rise. And we also know, which is something that you're not hearing the media talk about is, but there these prices aren't going to go back down. I mean, the, the comment that I mentioned to a group of CEOs a couple of weeks ago is that I can't go back to all our people and thank them for the last two years and say, Oh, by the way, we're going to bring you back to your labor rates of 2020 or 19. I mean, it's here to stay. Right. You, you can't re- renew that. So, you know, the challenges are, are, are probably, Nothing we have seen probably since, you know, after the great depression where we started to to scale and industrialize and have those complexities. Um, But I think we're operating today differently than then because we're a global economy now and we're not just producing at a local regional level. We're also producing for the world. And it, it, it has a lot of pressure on, unfortunately, society, and, and the people that are holding this up?
0: Well, um, maybe some of the things that we had talked about earlier where um, consumers, Americans, are getting a little bit more, um, not accepting, I, I don't know if that that's quite the word. Um, well, I'll just use it because I can't think of another word, a little bit more accepting of, Lower consumption these days, yeah. both from and just an availability point of view, uh, the amount of variety isn't there that, like it used to be, um, as well as the um, sustainability aspect of it. So it's kind of hard for a company, a brand owner, and its uh, contract packaging partners. To see any kind of a growth when we seem to be in an area or a time period where there's a little bit of a, a drawback, I guess from a consumption point of view, and um, I I don't I don't know what the solution is um, <laughs> for that, but um, you know we'll see moving forward unless you've got a solution that's going to um, uh, help.
1: Yeah. I, again, I think I think a lot of that is driven at the policy le- level. I think you know we participated in in a uh, ideation session with a non profit out of San Francisco called One Step Closer, which was really one of their pillars is around um, packaging and how we can improve the the environment and what are the things we need to do to make that next step right and. Um, they engaged a bunch of key stakeholders and we met um, and really just started throwing ideas and narrow those ideas. But, you know, I, I think there was a couple like, for us key takeaways, which were one, you know, you said, you know, the word you use for the people would be, um, I just forget that you're hoping the people would uh, change. I think, I think, you know, People becoming more mindful and in order to, for them to become more mindful, I think we have to start at an earlier age, educating our children on, you know, the do's and don'ts of consumption and where we process and package. We, we certainly don't have the infrastructure to handle uh, the, the, the packaging challenges we have with recyclability and so that's a that's another challenge but also an opportunity that we're trying to solve is how do we get better better structure around that packaging so that we can um, produce packaging that can be recyclable or compostable but unfortunately we haven't solved it and the types of structures that they've got in place today are struggling to run on high speed assets they don't conform and stick so they're they're difficult to be long-term solutions and on top of that a lot of them don't have the longer shelf lives, but again, if we can get a society that isn't worried about having something for eighteen months, but just worried about today, then maybe we can we can solve with better packaging that is better for environment. But certainly, um, finding the right materials that can be compostable and recyclable, and then where do you take the recyclable? Right now, the biggest thing is we've got this whole moving around. How to? You've probably seen that 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 logo. But then again, the that's, how to yeah, how to recycle, recycle label, right.
0: which is genius in my opinion, for yeah. to to communicate so much in such a small space about the packaging, genius.
1: Yep. And so now we just need to to create the education of where do you do that at. And then you then okay. we gotta set those up. And that's that's probably an opportunity for somebody to do that.
0: Okay. Well, um we have uh properly identified a lot of the challenges. Um David, I'm just wondering if we can kind of end on somewhat of a positive note. Um what is like a win that you see these days in your business?
1: Yeah, I and I speak this because again, it's it's just the heartbeat of business, but you know, greater collaboration between the the suppliers and the brands getting together, spending meaningful time and addressing some of these discussion and topics that we talked about today. We don't don't do enough of that. We're, We're constantly in a reactive mode and we're constantly really just focusing on what's in front of us. And we need to take a few steps back, sit down, and just like great leaders, think about the next three five years and how we're going to work together to be better partners because ultimately it is an ecosystem a a living ecosystem and without one of those cogs in the wheels it it can't it can't move
0: Mm -hmm. and even though a lot of what we've been talking about is not hard to understand the interconnectedness and the infrastructure and all that's behind it does make this a complex issue And um, that's one of the reasons why it hasn't been solved um, uh, yet. So, um, But David, thank you so much for talking with me about this. And I'm glad that we ended on somewhat of a positive note because it sounds to me like you are one of those people who are doing exactly what it is that you say we need. And that's um, talking about those bigger picture issues And um, if you can't solve, one of the things that I've learned from engineer friends and colleagues that I've known is if you can't find the root cause, no matter what solutions you come up with, they're not going to solve the problem. So um, kudos to you for doing some of that hard work and believe you me, I, I know it's hard work. Thank you so much for your time today, David. We've talked about a lot of things and I wish you the best of luck.
1: Well, thank you, Lisa. Thank you for your time and give me the space.